Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up what's been another very busy week. Of course, big news uh, now in in the ag world is uh, the new Waters of the U.S. rule, the much-anticipated, long-awaited Waters of the U.S. rule. We have that to talk about, and we'll talk a lot about it today. We'll hear from the... Um, Chair, uh, the Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, get the beef industry's reaction. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. We talked to Don a lot about waters of the U.S. He'll fill us in on just what's in this new rule and look ahead to uh, probable, not possible, I would say probable uh, court battles and legal challenges to the new rule. And uh, we'll get into all that on today's show. Also going to talk about the, the trade deals, USMCA and China. What's the potential here, especially in this year, for grain exports? How long will it take for these really to show up and make a big difference? We're going to talk with the Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council, Floyd Gabler, and get his thoughts on that, what he's hearing uh, in the different countries we're talking about here, China, Mexico, Canada, and what these uh, deals mean in the uh, near term as well as in the long term. So all that coming up here on today's program. But we always uh, enjoy our visits with Phil Brasher. He's the executive editor for AgriPulse Communications. Phil, good to talk with you again. And I, even though uh, there will be these legal challenges I just mentioned to this new Waters of the U.S. rule, having a new rule, though, uh, kind of checks another box uh, for President Trump, what he said he would do when he was campaigning uh, to become president. And this was one right at the top of farmers' lists at that time of the last election, uh, finally, as we get ready for the next election, we get the new rule. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is huge. Uh, this was number one in terms of regulations on the priority list uh, for uh, most farm groups coming into the uh, coming into this administration. And you're right; they checked it off. It's uh, been uh, been made final. Um, and as you also said, uh, the courts are going to have the uh, likely have the last word on this. It's going to be tied up in courts for a long time, uh, most likely. But it is very, very far-reaching. Um, really rolls back uh, the number of uh, streams and wetlands that are uh, will be subject to federal regulation. And as I've often mentioned, this is one of those rare times that agriculture and EPA are on the same side. <laughs> yes, uh, certainly, certainly this EPA. Uh, you heard, uh, I heard very uh, well. I heard no, saw no dissent from uh, ag organizations over this uh, yesterday. Even the National Farmers Union, which is kind of. Uh, uh, straddled this issue a bit, uh, said they welcome the clarity uh, that this rule provided. So we're going to talk a lot more about the new waters of the U.S. rule a little later in the program. Let's talk about some other things. I, I find it interesting on USMCA, most of us have moved on. Hey, it's finally done, let's move on, but the formalities still have to take place, right? The president still has to sign it, and it still has to be approved in Canada. Uh, that's correct. 
I think the, uh, I would argue that the, obviously there's some significant uh, changes here for dairy, uh, wheat, uh, to some, ex- some wheat producers. I think what the most important was was the signal this sent and the template this uh, provides going forward in, in, like, in doing bilateral or, uh, or doing trade agreements. Um, Democrats played a big role here. They worked with the White House. They uh, became satisfied with the labor and environmental standards. Some of them still wanted it to address climate change, but you saw 90% of the House, 90% of the Senate both vote for this implementing bill for this agreement. That's very significant. Um, in that way, I think it could it could prove to be a landmark agreement, even though uh, from from agriculture's perspective, it doesn't change that much from the old NAFTA. So the president will sign it next week. Uh, that's that's what we're expecting. I haven't seen anything, any kind of announcement yet. But uh, this week was Lotus. Uh, we'll be surprised if that week is USMCA. Yeah. And in Canada, they're moving towards getting it passed, right? It could be a while. Their, their parliament comes in, I believe, uh, this week. Uh, they've got to have they've got to go through their process of having the legislation, the implement, their implementing legislation, consider it and get it signed. We fully expect that to happen. You know, when you look at a lot of the things agriculture was uh, hoping and expecting from this administration, I mean, a lot of boxes are checked, USMCA, China, waters of the U.S., even though there's still work to be done. Uh, the RFS still remains that, uh, that kind of that open sore that, that, uh, that needs to be patched up and uh, dealt with uh, as far as agriculture is concerned. Yeah, it does, and it's uh, it may be an open source for quite a while in terms of uh, EPA is you know is going to continue to wrestle with the small refinery exemptions. Uh, you know, they're caught between the refining industry, um, which has uh, some some legal uh, precedent. Uh, behind its uh, demand for these uh, waivers, and then they have obviously the ethanol industry, ag groups, uh, corn growers in particular, on the other side. So this is one where EPA is really caught in the middle, as opposed to WOTUS, where you have the energy industry and ag groups, you know, singing from the same page. Yeah, and I wonder. Well, I'm hopeful something will still get done on the RFS. I'm almost wondering if the administration says, "Wow." They've got trade. They've got waters of the U.S. You know, they got there. There's enough here that he he feels he shored up his base going into the election. Yeah, the always the question uh, with, uh, for example, a swing state like Iowa um, and some of the in the other rural areas, Ohio, Michigan, uh, maybe to an extent Wisconsin. Always the issue is you've got to get a Republican, and especially now this is more true than ever, and this is becoming true in, in a state like Texas as well, is Republican really has to run up that rural turnout, and they need a strong turnout, uh, big vote, big margins in rural areas, and that's uh, going to be more true this year than it ever has been before. Yep, we'll see what happens, and we'll see if they do address the RFS issue yet this year. Phil, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Great to be here. Thanks. Take care. Phil Brasher, executive editor of AgriPulse.
Communications. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about these trade deals, uh, USMCA and China in particular. How long before we really feel the impact uh, of these deals? Will it be long into the year, or will we, could we see some uh, uh, immediate impact? has a lot uh, bearing on how farmers plan for this year and also could impact things like MFP payments, things like that. So let's get some assessment of these trade deals and what they mean for the grain sector. Floyd Gabler is the Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. We'll get his thoughts next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So each month here on AOA, we take a look at the uh, Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer numbers, and we take a look at the Ag Equipment Sales numbers. And with those numbers from December, we're joined now by Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We now have the final numbers for 2019. How do they turn out? Well, Mike, we made it. This uh, this year of 2019 is uh, is finally in the books, and boy, what a crazy one it was. We ended the year of tractor and combine sales just a little bit above where we were last year. But uh, as you look at the journey all the way through, it was a roller coaster. We started off incredibly strong, you know, sort of out of the gate a little hot, and then things softened pretty sharply about halfway through to basically take us to where we uh, where we ended up ended up the year just a little bit a little bit above last year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, Important to Agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I want to get some more perspective on the uh, USMCA and China trade deals. We bring in Floyd Gabler. He is the Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. Floyd, thanks for joining us. Um, how quickly do we see an impact from these trade deal signings? I mean, in case of USMCA, while there are some improvements, obviously, it's pretty much what we had in many ways for agriculture. So do we see much change or an impact from the signing of this? Well, yes. Uh, good morning, uh, Mike, and thanks for having me on again. Um, yes, uh, you know, the answer is is that, uh, you know, this uh, this agreement will uh, you know help uh, agriculture continue to have open market access with our best customers and closest neighbors, uh, you know. But more importantly, it does include provisions that will allow uh, us to more proactively address sanitary, phytosanitary, and other non-tariff barriers, and and it provides a new chapter on biotechnology that will help you know better guide science and risk-based uh, uh, approval process for GMO and plant breeding innovation technology. But, uh, you know, finally, uh, you know, to in my view, you know, USMCA has, has really become a, a blueprint for, you know, a modern 21st century trade architecture, you know. And so this is a template that Really, a lot of those provisions originated under the, you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, and were approved under uh, USMCA. But you know, this is the template that our organizations and others are are advocating as being used as, as uh, you know, the way to go. You know, in positioning uh, other trade agreements, uh, you know, to help us uh, continue to push for open and fair access you know, in new international markets. So you see USMCA as a significant upgrade over NAFTA? Well, it is to the extent that it deals with the trade, with the non-tariff type barriers. I mean, again, with the exception of our dairy brethren, uh, almost uh, virtually every other part of the food and ag industry had market access, zero or reduced, you know, near, you know, zero tariffs, no quotas, et cetera. So the whole benefit of uh, improving NAFTA was to, you know, you know, upgrade the provisions that were in the SBS chapter and included this new biotechnology chapter. <clears throat> you know, there's other chapters that deal with non-tariff barriers that are also uh, going to be critical and important to uh, to us going down the road. And again, 
you know, it's become the blueprint that I and I think the administration is 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 adopting that as a blueprint as well in looking at other trade negotiations. Looking ahead to this year, do you anticipate uh, more grain exports into Mexico and into Canada about the same, or, or what, do, what do you see happening this year, especially with USMCA in place? Uh, <clears throat> I expect to see more, uh, and it's it's going to be uh, as a result of two factors. One, uh, we anticipate that there will be continuous growth uh in uh, in the demand for our products, either for feed grain or for ethanol. Number two, <clears throat> you know, with this uh, agreement being ratified, hopefully uh, sometime this summer, we will, uh, you know, add more certainty, uh, you know, with our customers that, uh, and I think, you know, the whole idea of having continuity and certainty uh, is going to help, uh, you know, you know, we will see more, probably more investments actually made in the value chains that we've already created. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it helps solidify us again to continue to be a, a reliable cus- or supplier to our customers on both sides of the border. We're talking with Floyd Gabler, Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. All right, Floyd, let's go to the uh, Phase One U.S.-China trade deal. Um, your thoughts on that deal and a lot of questions about when will they start buying and how much will they start buying? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, yeah, again, this is a very important uh, agreement because it, uh, it really does disengage agriculture from the larger, you know, trade disputes that, uh, you know, brought this whole, uh, old trade war, uh, to uh, you know, to begin in the first place, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's to me, uh, you know, these these purchase commitments are are critical. I think they will be very helpful to help jumpstart our agriculture food sectors. But to me, the areas where they address the uh, structural uh, issues, again, non-tariff barriers that we and other uh, commodity groups have been facing with China are, are really, I think, more important and will have long-term uh, impacts uh, going down the line. Now, with respect to the purchases, um, you know, the, the China has agreed in the case of agriculture to, you know, purchase, uh, you know, at least 40 and maybe up to $50 billion a year for the next two years of ag and food uh, products, uh, <clears throat> you know, in my view, it's a, it's very challenging. It's a heavy lift. I think it'll have to be done. But even in the agreement, you know, it's been backloaded so that more of the of the exports will actually probably occur in 2021 uh, rather than 2020 this year. And um, you know, we've already seen increased uh, shipments of. Uh, soybeans and pork uh, we're hearing rumors of of boats uh, containing both uh, corn and sorghum so you know I, I think we'll begin to see uh, some of this uh, fairly soon uh, you know again it's it's uh, 
it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, but, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there's demand out there for our products within China. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the African swine fever situation, I think, is, you know, basically, you know, in the process of, of trying to, uh, you know, build up uh, those uh, hog numbers again. You know, and I, 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 you know, based on what I've heard, I think, uh, you know, this is happening pretty quickly. So I think that will help uh, on the demand side as well. But it does take time to rebuild those numbers. Do you have any concerns about China living up to the terms of this deal? <clears throat> well, that that is always the you know the the, the ultimate uh, question it's it's the old trust but verify mm-hmm. principle of president reagan um there are very uh, good provisions in there i think you know, that will you know that tie both sides really to enforcement mechanisms there's a dispute settlement process uh that uh, is embedded in this agreement uh uh, we're hopeful that uh, they'll live up to that, particularly, again, on the non-tariff barrier type issues, uh, because if it does, it will, it, it would be, I think, it would be transformational for us uh, and for a lot of, of food and agriculture, because, you know, again, it's these non-tariff barriers that have been our real problem. Uh, <clears throat> but, it, you know, again, it's time will tell. Uh, and I, I guess I'm I'm going to operate under the principle that uh, we're uh, you know we're going to work closely with the administration to ensure that uh, you know they are are working hard, which we know they will, to make sure it is implemented and identify any <clears throat> problems that that come along. Uh, <clears throat> and again, in the hopes that we can um, get this program or this part of the the process off and running. So you expect a big year in, in exports this year? I think we'll see a better uh, a better growth uh, across the board uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, first off, uh, you know we have this phase one agreement with uh, Japan that actually took effect on January one this month. Uh, you know, again, uh, the, the beneficiaries of that were the the pork, uh, the poultry. The beef uh, uh, and dairy industries, uh, because that leveled the playing field with other countries that have trade agreements with Japan. So, for us, we'll see more corn grind going into value-added products. Uh, and uh, sounds like a lot of this may go through the the, the protein sector, a lot through the the uh, livestock sector. Yes, I I think that's yeah. true. Uh, okay. Lloyd, we got to go. Thanks for your time, though. We look forward to a, a much better year on exports this year. Thanks for your uh, your perspective on this. We appreciate it. Okay, you're welcome, Mike. Anytime. Bye-bye. Floyd Gabler, Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. All right, we're going to get the latest on the new Waters of the U.S. rule. That's next on AOA. The patented Pod Shatter Reduction Technology Canola Hybrids from Invegor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. 
Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. With the start of every new year, you always have new possibilities. The new year is upon us, and Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network, has plenty of news to be excited about. Your host, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture, has expanded the daily conversation into new geographies around the country. Mike has new online content, too. Navigate on your computer, smartphone, or tablet to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Under the Adams on Agriculture tab, you can listen to Mike's latest shows and also catch up on Mike's new weekly commentary. Adams on Agriculture is also available as an Alexa skill on your Amazon device. Adams on Agriculture with Mike Adams, presented by the American Ag Network. We're looking forward to new conversations with you throughout the year with information farmers and ranchers need to know. Check it out. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Time for a market check here on AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector, we've got minus signs across the board. Wheat, corn, and soybean futures, too. No large Chinese purchases of U.S. grains evident in Friday's export sales report from USDA, which will most likely bog down the futures for the foreseeable future on this Friday. The biggest new Chinese purchase was of 225,900 metric tons of soybeans for 2019-2020 delivery, a figure not unusual in recent months, according to the Wire Talk. An hour into the trading day, March soybeans down six and three quarters at 902 and a half, May down seven at 916 and a quarter, March corn down four and a quarter at 389 and a half, May down three and a half at 395. Chicago wheat March down ten and a quarter at five seventy and a quarter. Kansas City wheat March down six and a half at four eighty five and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March down five and three quarters at five fifty a bushel. For livestock of the Merck and live cattle futures, the February contract up twelve cents at one twenty four eighty. We've seen cash cattle sales so far this week, mostly at one twenty four. In the central and southern plains, that'd be fully steady with a week ago. Nebraska sales at 124 on a live basis noted yesterday. Feeder cattle, March contract down 27 at 140.25. Lean hogs, February down $1.30 at 67.25. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 32, NASDAQ up 24, S&P down 2, March crude oil in New York, down 96 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. 
If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, the much-anticipated, long-awaited new Waters of the U.S. rule has finally been released. The, it's being called the Navigable Waters Protection Rule and would eliminate federal protection that was provided in the Obama administration's 2015 rule that has been so controversial. Not only is agriculture welcoming this new rule, but uh, those in the home building industry and energy companies as well. So it's pretty uh, broad-based coalition of people that uh, and industries that have been pushing for this change. We've talked a lot about it uh, for several years now with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Don, this is a day we've been waiting for for some time. Yes, it is, Mike. Um, I think it's some really good news for farmers and ranchers, and um, it, it's one of those things where it's going to provide clarity where there was not clarity before, but I think it also is going to make sure that we protect uh, the access to clean and safe water for everyone. And as I mentioned, and as we have talked about before, the fact that it's more than just agriculture supporting this. I mean, there are a lot of other sectors of, uh, of business and the economy that, are, that are, have been pushing for a change in that 2015 rule. That's right. And, and let me just kind of nail down what everybody's kind of coalesced around. You know, we acknowledge that this new rule eliminates jurisdiction from most ditches and usually dry areas. That's what was at stake here. And ultimately, people that have to use the landscape, that have to build roads, have to build homes, you know, farm the land for food, fiber, and fuel, we need certainty that those usually dry areas or that infrastructure, those ditches, they're not waters of the U.S., Secretary Purdue released a statement in which he said, part of what he said, the days are gone when the federal government can claim a small farm pond on private land as navigable waters. I mean, that kind of uh, is at the crux of this, right? Well, I, I would agree that that's important and that is very clear. I agree with the secretary on that. But what's clear is the underlying legal theory of this rule, which says that meaningful connections between water are navigable waters. Let me underline that again. Meaningful connections between water and navigable waters are protected. But what this says is, is that's on a gradient. And on that gradient, things that are imported are going to be protected. And those things that are way, way out on the landscape that look more like land than they do water, those are clarified. They're not regulated, at least at the federal level. So what would this rule mean for state authority, more or less, or, or redefine it in any way? Well, you know, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Uh, in the, what the Obama rule did to certain states, and I could call a couple of states out, um, Tennessee was one in particular, where if, if you had a feature that only carried water during rainfall events, those states did not even consider those as being, quote, state waters. They considered them 
wet weather conveyances. Now, did the state have oversight of those? Yes. And are the states going to maintain oversight of those wet weather conveyances? Yes. But they're not treated as waters of the U.S. The line is clear. On one side of the line is federal protections. On the other side of the line, the states deal with those. And in this case, we're talking about a, a water that the state didn't even consider a water of the state, but they did consider it important enough to regulate their wet weather conveyances. I think that is important. I think the public and farmers can be assured that things are going to be, you know, taken care of. And, and I would even characterize it like this. These are small changes, but they're going to have huge positive impacts because states have historically dealt with these, and I think that's going to be very positive for farmers and ranchers. It seemed that the 2015 rule took away common sense. I mean, when you could see an area that, hey, when it rains, there's some water there, but most of the time there's not water there. There's no way that really was a navigable water. And that that's what led to many saying the 2015 rule was a an overreach, a, a stretch of federal authority, a, a, a grab of power, more or less. I agree with that. And, you know, I've thought about a lot of examples. You know, my driveway is connected to a county road. And there are a network of county roads that I have to drive on before I get to a state road that ultimately would get me to an on-ramp to an interstate highway. Mm -hmm. My driveway is connected to an interstate highway. But is it on a gradient important enough for the federal government to regulate that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about things that are so remote, so removed, that yes, counties do regulate how I connect to the county road. But should the federal government be having oversight of that? I don't think so. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. We're talking with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation about the new waters of the U.S. rule. All right. So obviously, Don, agriculture and home builders and energy companies, um, this broad cross-section of American industry uh, supporting this rule. But there are those who are not, and those are the groups that are probably going to take this to court, right? Uh, yes. And not only are they going to try to take it to court, I think they're going to try to scare the public. Um they're not going to fight on facts. They're going to fight on emotion and innuendo. And unfortunately, that's, you know, a lot of our public policy, you know, has to deal with kind of, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff. And I hope when things ultimately come, you know, when the wheat is separated from the chaff on this, it will be it will be understood that this is a very common sense regulation. It's one that provides the clarity we need, but yet it protects not just navigable waters, but it protects our drinking water. I'm very confident of that. So where are we now? Because the waters have not been clear here because we've had uh, new rules, old rules, some states under one, other states on the other. As of today, where are we with the waters of the U.S.? Mike, that's a great question. Uh, this rule doesn't take effect until 60 days. Uh, it was published out on EPA's website. I'd encourage folks if they want to, you know, get a good night's rest to pull this down and take a look at it. It is a, a fairly detailed document, but it's going to take 60 days before this thing takes effect. I do expect the environmentalists to try to challenge it in court. We think, uh, you know, and again, we've not read every word of it yet, but we think uh, from what we have read, that it is a very legally defensible document. 
Because guess what? It aligns with the words that Congress used when they passed the Clean Water Act. It also aligns with the with this precedent that the Supreme Court has set. And if you line the policies of this administration up with those two, what Congress wrote, plain language, and what the Supreme Court has said, we think that pretty much brings our regulations into into alignment with what was intended, not just what was intended, but what was clearly written in the statute and in those decisions. Okay, I'm not a lawyer by any means, but it seems then the question would be, once it is challenged, as we expect it to be in court, is it allowed to, to be in place, in effect, while that challenge is going on, or is there a stay put on it? What do you think happens there? That is a that is a good question. I wish I could answer it. I have an idea that there will be kind of a patchwork that results from some of this, but we're we're very hopeful that you know someday soon that this 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 ultimately lines up and is is you know is the law of the land. We're we're you know again. It's anybody's guess, but I think at the end of the day, this is smart policy. It is, it is protective policy. It is, it is clear policy, and it's the kind of thing that the American public deserves. Got a feeling we'll find out pretty quickly. I've got to believe these environmental groups that have opposed it, uh, they're not waiting till now to, to get ready to go file their, uh, you know, their challenges. They were probably, they had those in their back pocket or briefcase and ready to go on those. So we'll probably know fairly soon. Yes, we should know very soon. They're, I'm sure they're beating their drums right now. And, you know, we'll wait and see what ultimately happens there. And, you know, rest assured that the Farm Bureau and, and other ag organizations, as well as, you know, again, the people that you talked about, the people that have to provide homes and roads, uh, energy in this country, whether it's renewable energy or whether it's, uh, you know, a carbon-based fuel, those things really matter to the American people. I mean, we have to we have to pull up to a gas pump or drive down the road or take our kids to school every day. It This is meaningful, and it is something that, that we're all going to look to try to make sure that we protect against, anything that would change this. So we know how this usually plays out. Uh, they're going to go, these groups that are going to file against it will... Don't they kind of go shopping for the judge or the court they think will most likely rule in their favor? And then you start getting one court ruling one way, and then you get appeals. And I mean, is, is that what we're kind of looking at ahead? We are looking at that ahead, but ultimately, I think we're looking at how this court, how this this rule is going to play out before the Supreme Court. Right. And 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 ultimately. You know, you can rest assured that the Farm Bureau is in this for the long haul. We're going to do what it takes to represent our policies and our members, and even if it takes, you know, taking this all the way to the Supreme Court. Which I I just have a feeling that's probably where we're headed, and which would maybe give us final resolution on it, but the, that's a process to get there. So as you have reminded us many times, Don, this is a journey, and this is a big, big step, but we still got a ways to go. Thanks for being with us, Don. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. So we have a new WOTUS rule, the navigable, navigable, if I could say it, navigable waters protection rule, long awaited, supported by agriculture, home builders, energy companies, but environmental groups are going to protest against it. They're going to probably file lawsuits and legal challenges to it. So this battle is not over. As Don said, this would take 60 days anyway to go into effect. But will there be a stay put on it while these legal challenges play out? 
uh, there's more to write in this story on waters of the U.S., but this is a big, big step for sure. We'll get the beef industry's reaction to all this next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... 
Some have made claims that we are now totally energy independent. We don't even need foreign oil. Is that the case? Let's talk about it with Scott Richmond, chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. Have we reached energy independence yet? Thanks for having me this morning, Mike. Uh, unfortunately, we've not reached energy independence yet. We have. We are less dependent uh, than we were 15 years ago on foreign sources of energy, but we are not yet independent. It's great that over the last 15 years, as a result of uh, both shale oil production uh, and a tremendous increase in biofuels production, ethanol is now 10% uh, of the gasoline blend. We are a lot less dependent than we were. But again, we're not we're not independent. We're not an island under unto ourselves, and especially in petroleum, we're linked to international markets still. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Agriculture energy companies, home builders, but there are the groups uh, out there that are not happy with it and they are opposing it. The conservation groups and societies that represent a number of natural resource scientists have been critical of this proposal, so they're going to probably file uh, legal challenges. But as we said, agriculture is very supportive of it. Let's talk about it now with Scott Yeager, who is the Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Scott, thank you for joining us. Uh, What in particular about this new rule does the beef industry like? We like the clear exclusions for agricultural structures, such as stock ponds, irrigation ditches, and other agricultural activities. Um, those are uh, excluded from the definition of waters of the U.S. under this new navigable waters protection rule, and we like that a lot. Uh, that's that's one big one. Another big thing that we saw uh, that, that this rule is basically it's basically a correction of the overreach of the Obama era 2015 WOTUS rule, 
and one of the big things they corrected was excluding ephemeral features from federal control. And by ephemeral features, I'm talking about those uh, small water features that maybe don't even get uh, have water going through them, except when you get a rainfall event or a snowmelt event, and then they're flowing with some some uh, precipitation. Uh, those dry, you know, those features are mostly dry, uh, especially in the western parts of the country. Those features will be dry all year round, except for those precipitation events. And we really felt strongly that those did not properly belong under federal control. They properly belong under local and state control. And if the local and state authorities believe that that's a, a need for them to regulate, then they can do that. Uh, but this new federal rule, uh, this Trump administration rule, excludes those features, and that is the, the proper role of the federal government. Yeah, those are what I call the common sense issues, uh, where most people could look at a situation and determine pretty easily whether that was a navigable water or, or, or not. Uh, so that clears a lot of that up. But the critics of this are saying, these environmental groups, and some of them are saying uh, that this does not address uh, protecting our waters, it, it allows pollution to take place. How, how do you respond to that? Well, my response would be uh, those groups were going to oppose it regardless of what is in the rule. Um, if you look at NRDC's website, for example, and NRDC, the Natural Resource Defense Council, has been a long, uh, long-time opponent of the Trump administration, and they actually marked themselves on the number of lawsuits they have against the Trump administration. Uh, so for them, it's a it's a marketing uh, it's a marketing plan. The more lawsuits they can pile up, the the more membership dollars they can go after. Uh, so it was not surprising to see uh, them and a number of other groups uh, posture that they're going to litigate it, and they felt that it wasn't a fairly constructed rule. Um, that's not a surprise. Uh, but listen, the the science is was done. This administration utilized the science in drawing and doing what is effectively a jurisdictional line drawing. And in my legal opinion, they did a, a, did a fair job of that, and, and they navigated the Administrative Procedure Act, gave the public the ability to comment on it, and checked all those boxes. So I'm hopeful that once this does get challenged by those environmental groups, uh, it will survive that court challenge. And I think it will ultimately go to the Supreme Court. This issue of WOTUS has gone to the Supreme Court uh, three to four different times in the past 20, 30 years. And I, I, would, I would assume that this newest rule is going to be no different from that. But the difference now is that we have a very different Supreme Court than we had back in 2006. And we have a very strong private property rights wing of the court. Uh, so I'm hopeful that we'll get to a good uh, decision with that. An EPA official saying we've done a lot to make sure it withstands a legal challenge. So, and you just laid it out, it'll probably go all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, my question, Scott, is what do you think happens in the meantime? Is there a stay put on this new rule, or is it allowed to be in effect during the legal process? How do you think that plays out? That's a great question, and it's really going to depend on what courts these activists bring their challenges to. I can tell you that they are already litigating the repeal of the 2015 WOTUS rule, which that rule was finalized in a separate action back in September of 2019. Um, they're in the district courts of New York and in South Carolina. And the reason they picked those two courts is because they've had success in those courts uh, challenging prior actions. So they're going to venue shop and look for the best, most favorable judges to shop this to. And, uh, and then they're going to try to get some decisions made and perhaps some uh, preliminary injunctions. It's hard to predict what will happen until we see the lawsuits filed. I can tell you, though, Mike, that we are considering 
uh, engaging in those because we feel like we need to support the Trump administration's rules here. We feel like they're common sense regulations. They correct the overreach of the Obama administration 2015 WOTUS rule, and uh, we've got to we've got to defend those uh, victories we've gotten now once they go to the courthouse. So at this rule. If you take the legal challenge that out of it, it would still take 60 days to go into effect. It would, then we just wait and see what the legal process says as far as whether or not it does go into effect, right? That, that's right. So if we're looking at the, the timeline here, uh, the rule is supposed to go into effect in 60 days, which will put us towards the end of March. And then we'll expect to see lawsuits being filed. Um, so that's a kind of a sit, wait and see uh, type of issue. The way I look at it and the way I message it to our producers out there is we need to uh, breathe a sigh of relief and wipe our brow and know that this chapter uh, is over with. There is a new rule in place. Thank you to the Trump administration for finalizing it yesterday. And we can all breathe a sigh of relief and know that uh, we're no longer being overregulated by the federal government. And then as those legal uh, challenges take place, uh, we can get back on the phone and talk about what that's looking like, too. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, let's do a victory lap. Let's be thankful for what we've got. And I think um, we're going to be in a much better uh, place for producers to be able to say, okay, I don't need to worry about having a WOTUS on my pasture land because I know that this new rule uh, is not going to regulate these small features that I've got going throughout my pasture. And I can build a stock pond in it or I can do whatever I need to and feel uh, like I'm not being watched by the government. All right, Scott, thanks a lot. Thanks for laying that out for us, and we'll be watching how this uh, develops and, and moves forward. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mike. Have a good Take one. Uh-huh. Scott Yeager, he's the Chief Environmental Counsel for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, that does it for today and for the week. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Join us Monday on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.